Act Four. I spy with my elfy eye. Scene One. Meet the Heresiarch's family. Village of Carthage, Long Falls in the Confederacy of the Seven Nations. Tuesday, Vespers, evening 25th of April, 1284. Feast of St. Mark the Evangelist. Ariel's party of adventurers has newfound respect for Benjamin Franklin. For a 19-year-old, he has unbounded energy, dazzling people skills, and an uncanny knack for improvisation. Not only did his plan for cracking open the vault work, but he got Goldilocks to hand over the Sword of Laban without issue. After a week of journeying, they reach an Erokian village called Long Falls, where a group of English Black Flame cultists has taken refuge from the Inquisitors seeking to put them on trial for heresy. They have named their settlement Carthage. Once inside the cultist's secret temple, Franklin tells Whoopi, Introduce the princess to her new best friends, if you please. This is Heresiarch Jogbert, the head of the Black Flame cult in Vinland. His archdeacon is Elmer the Fadet. The Fadets are cliff elves from Vaucluse in Languedoc, now controlled by the Frankish king. His other deacon is Hugo the Troll. Unlike the stereotypes about trolls from his Sasquatch tribe, he is a very sensitive and philosophical believer who was deeply touched by the religion of Heresiarch Jogbert. Whoopi translates the introductions for the princess into Droish. When Deacon Hugo notices the conversation turned to him, he holds an undead rabbit in his hands and says in simplified English, I always wanted my own little bunny rabbit. I like to hug him and pet him and squeeze him. I named him George. One day George stopped moving, but Jogbert made him good again. I like Jogbert. Whoopi explains the gist of the troll's conversion story, and she stares up at the giant hairy deacon. She's not quite sure how to respond, so she just smiles and agrees. Right. Deacon Elmer says in runic, Princess, our beloved Heresiarch would like to see thee ignite the sword to test if thou truly hast the power. She replies in runic, What is it with ye people and power? She asks Whoopi for the sword of Laban, and at his request, Franklin hands it to her. She holds it up and exclaims, By the power of Laban, I have the power! Black puffs of flames like dark thunderclouds crackle with blue sparks. She then recalls the flame, saying, Let the power return! The sword's flaming blade settles down in a low rumbling of shadows at play, which then disappear completely. The heresiarch smiles with sinister satisfaction and speaks to Deacon Elmer, who then tells her in runic, The heresiarch is greatly pleased with thy mastery of the sword. He still has much to teach thee before thou canst unlock its full potential. He shall teach thee how to reanimate the dead with it, if thou art willing to call him thy master. The princess tries to stifle her smile of eagerness and says modestly, I am willing to learn, master. The Heresiarch guides them deeper into the secret temple. They come to a crypt, and the Heresiarch orders the troll to open a large stone slab covering one of the sarcophagi. Deacon Hugo puts down his undead bunny and slides the stone away to reveal a decaying giant dwarf. His shoulders alone are nearly five feet wide, and he stretches from head to toe roughly six and a half feet tall. His massive body makes him seem much more powerful than any giant she has encountered. Behold, the last of his kind says Deacon Elmer. 
The Gentel were a race of dwarves of unusual size. Their language and facial features are similar to their cousin Pyrenoch dwarves, but their colossal strength made them reckless and slower to apologize than common sense would dictate. They fought war after war and their population dwindled in Europa. A century ago, a Gentel clan sailed to Vinland, but they fared no better. Their race has since finished. Markest thou my words, this Gentel is a good candidate to become thy thrall, not because of his large size, but because of his strong will. In the undead state, a thrall's abilities in the physical world depend more on their qualities of mind and spirit than any physical characteristic. A strong will translates into a great physical strength, and an agile mind grants a body that was once clumsy in life more dexterity than Gordo the thief. A weak-minded ogre in life becomes a weak-limbed ogre after reanimation. This gentel you see here, Balrock, was strong-willed. It is not by coincidence that he survived longer than any of his kinsmen. The Heresiarch offers thee the gift to enthrall him so he may serve thee in thy noble quest of seeking revenge against the Inquisition that slew thy father. In return thou wilt welcome missionaries of the Black Flame into thy homeland. Fine. Now show me this ritual, Deacon Elmer says. Before we begin, thou must know the rules. Thou shalt not allow thy thrall to get wet with holy water. Thou shalt not subject thy thrall to get sliced or diced with silver weapons. Thou shalt not allow thy thrall to get blessed by holy clerics or druids. Thou shalt not snack after midnight. The princess grimaces and says, I thought joining up with the evil side would mean that I do not have to worry about the thou shalt nots anymore. Not snacking after midnight is just my personal recommendation for thee. The rest of these thou shalt nots have more to do with the immutable nature of the cosmos. There is nothing good or bad, but that thinking makes it so. But there are some rules you cannot break without breaking thine own coccyx bone. She huffs and says, Okay, fine. Let's just get on with the part where I enthrall this giant dwarf. Thou must first learn the dark tongue of Kaldur. Drat! And how long will that take? An instant, but it shall reveal thy secret thoughts. I only have one thought on my mind. Revenge. Deacon Elmer says in English, She is ready. Heresiarch Jogbert lays a hand on her head and says, Receive the power to speak the black tongue of Kaldur, Florence Kibler's daughter. Suddenly the princess is able to speak directly to the Heresiarch in the black tongue of Kaldor. Okay, you've figured me out. Now, show me how to use this dumb old sword to bring back my father. Call me master. Florence shrugs and says, Okay, master, show me. The Heresiarch goes through the ritual in the black tongue of Kaldor. Her memory is keen, and it is not long before she is able to perform it perfectly by heart. Once she is ready, Florence taps both shoulders of the giant dwarf with the sword of Laban, saying, Arise, Balrock! I dub thee a servant of the black fire, a dread knight of the flame of Laban. I bid thee come back from the shadows. Arise, Sir Balrock! The dull yellow eyes of the reanimated giant open. His throat gurgles and a convulsive motion agitates his limbs. Oh, his twitching fingers! The humongous body shivers as his yellowed skin tightens. It scarcely covers the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His lustrous black hair hangs limp from his head as he sits himself up. 
His mouth opens with a garbled moan, displaying his pearly white teeth, but there is nothing healthy about them. Behind his shriveled lips, the whiteness of his teeth only forms a lurid contrast against his dried-out eyes, sunken back into dun yellow sockets and emitting a strange reddish glow. Breathless horror and disgust fill Florence's heart until a rush of power intoxicates her mind. Arise, Sir Balrock, she shouts. Bow to thy new master! The giant studies her for a moment, then works his way out of his sarcophagus and bows before her. A surge of pride and superiority wells up in her. She swears to herself that she will bring back her father and gather a great army of undead warriors against the Inquisition who orchestrated his death. As if reading her thoughts, the Heresiarch lets out a sinister laugh. He speaks to her in the black tongue of Kaldor. Good, my young apprentice, I can feel thy anger. Take up thy weapons, strike down the next inquisitor thou seest with all thy hatred, and thy journey with the black flame will be complete. Not wanting to ruin the moment, but needing the sword of Laban back, Benjamin Franklin announces cheerfully, Welcome to the family, Balrock. It's been a real treat to watch you two bond so quickly. Now, your highness, could you please return to me the sword so we can complete our quest? The Heresiarch tells him in English, According to the power of black flame gathered within the sword of Laban, this giant dwarf is now a dread knight, and as such deserves the style of respect, Sir Balrock. Clearing his throat, Benjamin Franklin corrects himself. <clears throat> yes, well then, my apologies, Sir Balrock. We are glad to have you with us, and thank you for the clarification, Your Holiness, uh, Your Evilness. How should I address you, Heresiarch? Please, please, just plain Jogbert. We despise hierarchy and aspire to create an egalitarian society. Benjamin Franklin does not appear unsettled in the least by his words. Wonderful, just wonderful. You must send me a pamphlet someday about all those ideals and aspirations you have. In the meantime, I should really like that sword back so I can complete my quest. You know the deal. We'll only release the funds for our contribution to your cause if we succeed in our quest as well. So how about it, Jogbert? The Heresiarch turns to Florence and nods, but she seems to like possessing the sword too much to give it up. Benjamin Franklin gets edgy. Ariel and Willis put their hands on their weapons. They are not in the least inclined to let this quest fail after they have come so far. The Heresiarch commands her in the black tongue of Kaldor. This time the sound is horrible. She screams and covers her ears until she gives in. Yes, master. Clearly battling with her own will, she drops the sword of Laban with a clank upon the stony ground. Wrapping it in a cloth, Benjamin Franklin asks politely, Excuse me, Jogbert, one last question. Um, with no hierarchy and all, I'm just curious why everyone keeps calling you master. I said we despise hierarchy, Mr. Franklin, but make no mistake about it. Once a person fully commits to evil, I am very much the master.'